time period was a gentleman by the name of Elisha Benavoyev. <coughs> While Elisha Benavoyev began as one of the greatest men of his generation of hundreds of years, and he had been a tremendous Torah teacher, that was not quite the way his career ended. As a matter of fact, his career ended very, very badly. And the Gemara tells us exactly what happened. It says the Gemara, Dalit There were four people who went in to Pardes, which means they prepared themselves, they went into a state of almost Nevoah, and they got to go in front of Hashem and see Hashem as much as a human being can. The day that they went up with Shabbos, Yom Kippur, the four people were Ben Azai, Ben Zoma, Elisha Menavuya, and Rabbi Akiva. Gemara tells us that Ben Azai died, Ben Zoma became insane, Elisha Menavuya became an Apikoris, Rabbi Kiva alone went in B'Shalom and was Yatsa B'Shalom. And the Marsha explains to us what went on. You see, we take a very light, cavalier attitude to speaking to Hashem. You know, we daven and uh, we hope that we remember to shut our blackberry off when we start Shema Nesrei, because otherwise, uh, you know, etc. But if we had a sort of vision of what it's like in Shemayim, the honor, the cover given to Hashem in Shemayim is beyond description. <coughs> On Rosh Hashanah, we describe it a little bit. Thousands and thousands and thousands of groups of angels. Each angel fire that is fire more potent and powerful than any human creation. But groups and groups, thousands of groups, each one containing hundreds of thousands of malachim. There are many, many groups that are able to sing Shira Tashem once a day. Many, many groups that are only able to sing Shira once a week some only once a year, some once a yovel, and their entire legions, tens of thousands of groups of malachim that only get to sing Shira to Hashem once every 500 years. They pine, they wait for that opportunity <coughs> to sing Shira to Hashem. And if you can imagine the awesomeness of the glory with Hashem himself, Kabiachal, sitting in the center of this all, the Masha explains that when Ben Azai saw the majesty of Hashem, he said, I want nothing to do with this world anymore. He remained there and didn't want to come down to this world. He died. Then Zoma went into overload. It was just too much. And there was too much, and he literally became insane. Elisha Miravuya became an Apikoris. He saw two Rishuis. What that means exactly, I'm not sure, but he mistook that there were two Hashems, whatever that means. Rabbi Kiva alone went as far as a human being could, stopped, and came back down. In any case, when Elisha Menavuya became an Apikotis, he immediately was Yotzalotar Bezra. He came back down and turned to evil ways. It was Shabbos Yom Kippur. He got on a horse and began riding. 
As soon as he passed by close to Harabayas, a Bosco came out that said, Shuvu vonim shovavim, return my children, return chutz minalushim benavuya, except for you. And the Bosco explained why. Yadabi umaradbi, you recognize me. You you went in front of Hashem, you saw the glory of Hashem, for you to rebel against Hashem is such an affront. Shuvu vonim shovavim does not apply to you. At which point, Elisha said, No, if I got none to come to me in the world to come, I might as well enjoy this world. Says the Gemara, from that point on, he turned very, very wicked. He went over to Zona and he propositioned her. And she said, What? Aren't you the Tana, Elisha Mirovuya? It was still Shabbos, Yom Kippur. He reached into the ground, pulled out a radish. She said the words, Acherhu, it must be somebody else. I made a mistake. From that moment on, he's no longer called Elisha Mirovuya, he's called Acher. Very quickly, the word spread that the great Elisha Mirovuya was no longer the man that he once was, and the client's role was by and large Polish. They separated. One man remained the loyal Talmud. Rabbi Meir had been a Talmud before Acher went off, and Rabbi Meir remained a loyal Talmud. And as a matter of fact, the Gemara gives us an event that happened long after this. Rabbi Meir regularly would go to learn from Acher. One Shabbos, much later in time, Acher is riding on the horse, Rabbi Meir is walking next to him, and at a certain point, Acher from the top of the horse says, Meir, Chazor Bacha, return. I already measured with the steps of my horse, Ad Kan Tchum Shabbos. Here's the Tchum. Interesting that Acher from on top of the horse has a better read on where Tchum Shabbos is than Reb Meir, but Reb Meir sees the moment and with a play on words said, You, Rebbe, why don't you do tshuva? Says Acher from on top of the horse, I already told you, the Paschal said everyone is accepting tshuva except for me there's no hope and he went on living the rest of his life in this manner towards the very end of his days a messenger comes to Rabbi Meir Rabbi Meir, Meir, your Rebbe is dying and Rabbi Meir got to visit Acher on his deathbed and when Rabbi Meir walks in he says now, now Rabbi do tshuva Acher says, will they accept me in tshuva at this moment? And Rameir quotes a pasuk, yes, they will. At which point Acher begins crying, says the Gemara, sum up Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Meir was very happy. Rabbi Meir assumed that these were tears of tshuva, and Acher had returned. And with that, Acher died. They buried Acher, Rabbi Meir went home, and a little while later, another messenger came running, Rabbi Meir, Meir, come quick. Keva Rabacha Saruf. The grave of your Rebbe is burning. From the grave of Acher, a fire was coming up. Rabbi Meir went running out, took his talus, extinguished the fire. And the Gemara tells us that Rabbi Meir was privy. He was allowed to hear what was being discussed in Shemayim. The Gemara tells us that what was, the discussion went like this. He's not allowed into Gehenim, and he's not allowed into Gan Eden. He's not allowed into Gehenim and Mishum, the Asak Baraisa. He was involved in Torah study. He's not allowed into Gan Eden, Mishum, the Chata. Because everything he had accomplished as the Tana Elisha Mravuya, he did connected Ra, opposite it, he did bad, and he was not allowed into Gan Eden. 
Acher was slated to remain in limbo, nowhere, just totally in limbo for the rest of eternity. <coughs> Recognizing this, Rabbi Meir began doubting. Please, Zakharish Baruch, will have Rahmanis allow Acher into Gehenim. If he goes into Gehenim, he'll get cleaned up, and then whatever left will be able to go into Gehenim. Tefillah after Tefillah to no avail. Finally, Rabbi Meir said these words. Mosai Amos, when will I die? And I will cause smoke to come up from the kever of Acher. The Lord tells us the day that Rameir died, a pillar of smoke came out of the kever of Acher. It was assumed that it was accepted into Gehenna. That pillar remained day after day, week after week, for months, for years. Many years later, Rabbi Yochanan comes to the kever of Acher and says, what did Rabbi Meir accomplish? Very nice, he brought him into Gehenna, but he's still there. What good is that? Rabbi Yochanan said the words, Masai Amos, when will I die? And I'll stop that pillar of smoke. It says the Gemara, the day that Rabbi Yochanan died, that pillar of smoke stopped. And at Rabbi Yochanan's funeral, they said a Hespin, who is like you, Rabbi Yochanan, even the guardsmen of Gehenna can't stop you from doing what you want. It was assumed that Rabbi Yochanan be a dying took Acher out of Gehenna. Now let's stop here. And let me start with a question. I was a high school Rebbe for many years, and so the idea of a guy dominating that his Rebbe should go to Gehenna isn't that strange to me. <laughs> <laughs> But this is Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Meir is asking Hashem, please have Rachmanus. Hashem, please let Acher roast. Let him be right there in a fire. Let him burn. Please, Hashem, have mercy. It doesn't sound very kind. It doesn't sound very nice. And if you don't appreciate the question, maybe it's because Ashkenazic Jews are not allowed to talk about Gehenna. I don't know why. Svarim are Ashkenazim. Don't say no. Don't say the word Gehenna. I don't know what it went out. Let me share with you guys just two minutes again. Don't tell anybody I said this, and if you're sorry, you can listen. If you're Ashkenazi, just look down on the floor and pretend you didn't hear this, but watch this. If you want to know what Gehenna is, it's really quite simple. <coughs> Your mother asked you to take the challah out of the oven. You're a little bit of a wise guy, so instead of putting on a glove, you reach for the pan, and your hand touches the hot rock. <coughs> Top of your fingers get blistered. That night, you don't sleep, but it really just, you know, come on, it's not much. It's a little bit of skin. At a council in camp, there was a large Madura, the guy's around his bonfire, and the council's walking. He tripped and landed. He tripped and landed, palm down, right into the center of the hot coals. He had a blister the size of a softball, screaming, searing pain. All right, no, a little bit of skin. You're in the hot shower, hot, hot shower, and you get soap in your eyes, and just too hot, so you, you reach for the coal, but by mistake, you turn on the hot, ah! All right, at least we're getting a little bit of the body. We're, we're getting a little bit better. It was a book written in by Fire. It's about a film woman who was living in Shalayim. She was in her apartment, and the apartment burst into flames. She ran out immediately, and she found herself in the hallway untouched. And then she realized that her kids are still back in the apartment. She runs back in, grabs one kid, runs back in, grabs a second, grabs a third. She saved all her children, but she suffered burns on 85% of her body. Literally a harrowing, harrowing read. So, They'll say, okay, hot, burning, very, very painful. Gentlemen, that ain't nothing. 
If you'd like to know what Gehenna is, I'll share with you one simple observation. Take a matchbox car. One of those little kids' cars, two inches long, by Geheim. Turn it upside down, and you'll see on the bottom of the words, 1 60th scale ratio. 1 60th means if you take the two inches and multiply it by 60, you have 120 inches, 5 feet. If you take this matchbox car and multiply it out the, the times 60, you have a 5,000-pound SUV. If you'd like to know what the Asia Gehenim is like, take a kiln, 4,000 degrees that they make ceramics in, hot, unimaginable heat, multiply it by 60. The most painful experience a human being could ever envision. Gehenim is not meted out in months. It's not measured in weeks, not in days. It's measured in seconds, the smallest slices of time, because the pain is unbearable. And the Kofi or one of the great Bali Musa, does the math for us. Would you like to know how long Acher was in Gehenna? He says, from the death of Rabbi Meir until the death of Rabbi Yochanan is 130 years. The man was roasting in unimaginable pain day after day, week after week, for 130 years. And the question is, how do you call that Rahmanis? How do you call that mercy? How could Rameir Dalman Hashem please have mercy on Akher? Let him skewer, put him right now on a stake, just stick him right in the flame. It sounds rather difficult to understand. And this is the Kofi Oz question, and I'd like to see if we can get a better answer, get a better understanding of this, and get an answer to this. So to do that, I'd like to share with you guys an interesting fact. Alan Dershowitz, name sounds familiar? Okay. Alan Dershowitz, Harvard Law Professor, Dream Team, defended O.J. Simpson. He actually stands up for Israel often in, in writing, in books, and in the press. So he's a good guy in that sense. And one of the books he wrote is, wrote is called The Vanishing American Jew. Now, a lot of what Alan Dershowitz writes is worth reading. In that book, there's something that's well worth not reading. And that is as follows. Alan Dershowitz says that he was teaching a course in Harvard Law that's called Thinking About Thinking. Thinking About Thinking means and dealing with the big deal issues of life, creation, morality, religion, all the big deal stuff. Anyway, at some point they decided, as part of the course, to rate the world's religions. Judaism, Buddhism, Catholicism, which one's got it right, which one's got it wrong, A, B, C, and D, give them a grade, kind of rack them up. Okay. But at a certain point, someone made the following observation. Religion is a way of relating to God, maybe studying God, serving God, if we're rating the world's religions, doesn't it behoove us to rate God? Shouldn't we give God a grade as well? So they did. They decided, let's give God a grade. How did God do at this thing called creation? Okay. Now, before I spoil the fun and let you know what God gets on his final grade, I'll give you some of his background. I guess, if you look out at the world, there's some really nice things. There are sunrises, there's poetry, there's love, there's compassion. A lot of nice things in the world. On the other hand, there's some rough spots. There's pain, there's poverty, there are orphans, there are widows. So there's a balance, good and bad. On balance, God rates a B minus. Not a plus, not an F. Kind of like right there in the middle, mediocre. Kind of like God, you did okay, you could have done a lot, lot better, but you know, kind of, oh, you did all right. Okay. Now, let's say I were given the opportunity to rate our learned professor. I would give him a rating. Wouldn't be an A, mm -mm. not a B. Mm -hmm. Not even a C. A D for dumb. <laughs> and I'll share with you why. Watch this. Imagine I take this pen out of my pocket and say, gentlemen, 
This is a lousy toothpick. Not really, it's a lousy toothpick. Whoever designed this toothpick did a terrible job. Look, you see this clicker thing? You don't need that. See this thing over here? Useless. Worse than that. Every time I get a back to my molders, I, I get this blue inky thing. I mean, whoever designed this toothpick did a terrible job. That would be an example of fallacious thinking, false thinking. Why? Because before you rate the manufacturer, you have to know what they intended it to do. As a writing implement, it might be well-crafted. As a toothpick, it might be lousy. But before you rate BIC, you have to know what they intended that craft to accomplish, what they made it for, what's it supposed to do. And in the same sense, I believe that if you rate God without having a very firm understanding as to why Hashem created the world, why Hashem made us, and why Hashem made man and put us in this thing called life, you're going to come up with some pretty silly ideas. And I'd like to share with you guys a muscle. Why is it that Hashem created us? Why does Hashem make us? What's life about? So I want you to imagine the following. Imagine that you're invited to a very exclusive health club. You've never been there before. But you know the basic layout. There's the gym on the right side, and on the left side is a spa. The gym has got everything you need to work out. You have the Nordlis, the free weights, the treadmills, everything you need. Get in shape. The spa has got the steam room, the sauna, the massage tables, everything you need to just relax and chill. You decide, listen, it's been a very stressful week, and you're headed straight for the spa. But by mistake, instead of turning left, you turn right, and you find yourself, oh my goodness, whoa, what are all these red-faced guys grunting and sweating? What's all this equipment? Whoever designed this spa did a lousy job. That is a muscle to life. Ms. Hashem explains to us that when Hashem created us, Hashem made two worlds. There's this world and the world to come. This world is the gym. We were put into this world to grow, to accomplish, to change the essence of me. When I'm done my job here, I go to the spa, and that's where I enjoy what I've shaped myself into. That's where I am for eternity. But two worlds, each with its purpose. And this world, the purpose being to grow, to accomplish. The world to come's purpose for a person to be close to Hashem and enjoy. But if you believe that life ends in the grave, let's imagine, as a learned professor seems to believe, if you believe that when it's over, you know, it's lights out and done, you're no more, you know, like Elsie the cow, you know? When Elsie the cow dies, our nephesh evaporates. So imagine you view death that way, as in like, you're asleep, black, no more. And I'd like to share with you, God would not rate a B-. minus. God would rate an F for doing a terrible job at creation. What do I mean? Anyone here ever get a headache? How about a migraine? You know anybody with arthritis? I walked a man up three steps on Yom Kippur. I believe he suffered more pain in those three steps than I've suffered my entire year. Here's the question. If Hashem is loving, compassionate, and kind, why create pain? What about disease? A stupefying immune system in man, brilliantly created with gaping holes. And diseases, all types of diseases, bacteria, viruses, that are craftily created to penetrate those gaping holes. Why make it? it says in the Silashashan, if you'll study the human, if you'll look at the thing called life, you'll quickly understand that if Hashem created us for this world only, then Kaviyochal Hashem blew it. Hashem did a terrible job, not a B minus, an F. However, once you understand that we're here for a few short years to grow, to accomplish, 
Every situation challenges me. Every situation is an opportunity for me to become bigger, to become a different human being. And then when I'm done my job here, I separate forever. I am in eternity what I made myself into. Then you understand life, and fundamentally, life itself makes sense. And my friends, I believe that's the answer to the question. See, it wasn't that Rabbi Meir went to an Ashkenazic yeshiva and didn't learn about Gehenna. Rabbi Meir knew very, very well what Gehenna was like, a lot better than we could ever imagine. But Rabbi Meir understood the other side of the equation. Granted, Acher may stay in Gehenna for who knows how long, maybe even at the end, 130 years, but it's worth it. Why? Because once he's done there, he'll be in Gan Eden, and if you would know what it's like to be close to Hashem, to enjoy that, the pleasure, the unimaginable pleasure, and so indescribable that it's worth burning for 130 years. By the way, if you'd like an illustration of what that means, here's a question to ponder. How good is God at doing that which He does? Not a bad question, right? How good is God at doing that which God does? Anybody want to offer? Decent, fair, middling? Okay. If you've ever opened a uh, science textbook, maybe uh, biology or uh, quantum physics or organic chemistry, and you see thousands of pages describing the most complex systems harmoniously integrated, if you know that brilliant men spend their entire life crawling into the smallest corner of one little portion of Hashem's wisdom, you quickly realize that Hashem is very, very good at doing that which Hashem does. Okay, now I want you guys to imagine for a minute the following. Imagine that Hashem would create a world for one purpose. And that purpose is for you to have pleasure. Strictly, completely, and totally only so you should enjoy. If you close your eyes and you imagine pleasure after pleasure, wits and flavors, nuances, and different unending pleasures, that world has been created. That's going to even, that's when we've done our job here, depending on what we made of ourselves, how close we are, how much we enjoy, but that world is exactly created for that purpose. And while we may not understand it, while we may not relate it to it, Rabbi Meir did very, very clearly. And because he saw it very, very clearly, he said to Hashem, it's worth it for Acher to roast. It's worth it for him to burn alive for 130 years. Why? Because once he's done, forever, he is what he shaped himself into. And by the way, forever is a long time. You know how long forever is? A long time. A long, 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 long. Long, 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 long time, right? Would you like to know how long forever is? Chavz Chaim gives a mushroom. Imagine a huge, huge pile of sand. Huge pile. And once every 100 days, a bird comes and takes away one grain. Three grains a year. And 30 every 10 years. 300 every 100 years. How long would it take that bird to take away the entire huge mountain of sand? A long, long, long time. That's forever. Gentlemen, do you get the punchline? When I separate from this body, the body's put in the ground, I leave, and I enjoy exactly what I shape myself into, and exactly what I made myself into forever. Without distractions, without being pulled away, I enjoy forever that proximity. And while we may not relate to this, Rabbi Meir did, and because of that, he downed the Shem. Please have Rachmanis. Please allow him to be in Gehenim because it's worth it. And I think there's an interesting lesson for us in the grandeur, the majesty, the wonder of what Gan Eden is like. But that's not what I wanted to talk to you guys about. 
it's later on in this Gemara that the plot kind of thickens. See, let's analyze what's going on here. Rameo was privy. He was allowed to hear what was happening in Shemayim. Acher is not allowed into Gehenim and he's not allowed into Gan Eden. Now, why he's not allowed into Gan Eden, I understand. He's not allowed into Gan Eden because whatever he did on the good, he did opposite on the bad. Okay. But why wasn't he allowed into Gehenim? So the Gemara told us, Mishim, the Asik Baraisi, was involved in Torah study. The Masha helps us by explaining Schus HaTorah Mogin. The merit of Torah protects. Okay, would you like to know who Acher became? At that time in their history, the Romans already occupied the land of Israel. The Romans did everything in their power to get the Jews to sit. They would create work camps on Shabbos. They made the Jews do malacha. The Jews did everything in their power to lessen the malacha. So for instance, if a Roman would tell a guy to carry a beam, if one guy could carry it, two people would carry it, taking it down from the Daraisa to the Darabar. If they were asked to carry the beam and they couldn't get away that way, they'd make sure to work, work, walk through a Kamalist instead of a Shusarabim. Whatever they could do to lessen the Chil Shabbos they did, Acha would show up at the Roman work camp and say, whoa, 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 no, 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 get that beam off those two guys. No, no, one guy could carry that beam. No, make him walk this way. No, no, through the Shusarabim. No Kamalist trick. He would go from work camp to work camp, making the Jews be Machal Shabbos in the most egregious manner possible. The Yerushalmi, the Yerushalmi tells us that he would walk into the Bata Midrashim. Remember, communication then was not so quick. Many parts of Israel didn't know that Elisha ibn Avuya had become Acher. He would walk into the Bata Midrashim and say, You! You! Get out of here! You can be doing something useful. You can be a shoemaker. You can be a carpenter. Get out! He cleared out the Bata Midrashim. The Yerushalmi tells us that at the end of his career, Biyadayim, he choked Tamil Chacham. So here's the question. What do you mean, Schus the man was the most horrific sinner imaginable. He turned against everything he did. What do you mean, schus And I'd like to share with you guys what I think this Masha is telling us. <coughs> There's a fellow named Draymond. He was a student at Wits, Wisconsin Institute of Torah Study. It's a Chatzchaim in Milwaukee. Um, I don't know if you guys know him, but he now is the lead singer for the rock band Disturbed. I've never heard the rock band, but I've heard that they well earned that title. <laughs> okay. Now, listen. Guys, it's certainly our fervent wish, like everyone's, that every Jew should return and everyone should do Tshuva Gemura. And this shouldn't happen. Rahman Hassan, this should never happen. But imagine with me for a minute that today, you know, Rahman today's the last day of Draymond's life. Over. Done. And he stands in front of Basil Shamala. Now, obviously the body piercing, the tattoos, you know, look at stuff, is put in the ground, not there. He's there, the body's not. You'd imagine that there's an awful lot he'd be sorry for. You'd imagine there's an awful lot that he'd answer for. But what if I share with you that the fact that he learned Chumash in fourth grade, the fact that he learned Rashi in seventh grade, the fact that he learned Mishnayas in seventh grade, the fact that he learned Gemara in eighth grade, the fact that he learned... Gemara Pshatosis in ninth grade is his eternal schus. You see, what the Mashar is sharing with us is many acquisitions that you make, even mitzvahs, can leave you. If you're Toa Alorishonos, if you say, Drat, I'm so sorry I wasted my money on that Esra, what a waste of my time, you're Toa Alorishonos and you can lose the schus. However, Torah for some reason doesn't work that way. 
It's your eternal acquisition, remains with you forever, and despite the fact that Acher had become such an unimaginable Russia for eternity, he had the merit of Torah. And what that means in plain language is, again, an interesting concept. Quite simply, if you guys walk out of this room and take the yarmulke and chuck it, I'm out of here, I'm gone. Not such a good move. But the fact that you learned yesterday, the fact that you learned this morning, is your permanent acquisition. You see, anything you buy in this world leaves you. Most trinkets, most toys you buy, you're still paying the credit card debt off while the object is obsolete. But any acquisition that you make in this world can leave you. Torah is the one thing that's different, and I think that's an important concept to understand. But there's one more twist in the story where the punchline really gets interesting. Many, many years later, Bito Shal Acher, the daughter of Acher, appears in front of Rabbi Huda Hanasi, and she says the words, Rebbe Parnasani, Rebbe feed me. Rabbi Huda Hanasi says, Binti Miat, who are you? She says, I'm the daughter of Acher. What? Is it possible that there's anyone left from his lineage? Rebbe, please, remember Tarasso, the Altiskar Rishoso, remember his Torah, please don't remember his wickedness. At which point the Gemara says, Miyad, immediately, the chair that Yehuda Nasi was sitting on was burnt. Minishamayim, a fire came down and burnt the chair he was sitting on. He fell to the ground and began crying. And he said these words, If to those who are an embarrassment to the Torah, they stand up for that person's honor, how much more so for one who respects the Torah. Would you like to know why Rabbi Yehuda Nasi cried? He cried because he got a patch upon him. How dare you speak that way about a Talmud Chacham? Do you know who you're speaking about? That man was a great man in Torah. How dare you say that? And because you say that, fall to the floor. Rabbi Yehuda Nasi began crying because he received it as a slap in the face because at, for the first time he realized the covered due for learning. How much honor is due. And my friends, this is a major, major concept. You see, the Chavetz Chaim explains that we make one fundamental mistake. Talmud Chacham. Oh, wow. Once upon a time, there was a Midi Chachamim, Rabbi Kiva, Rabbi Shmuel, maybe Rechazam Sofer, Moshe Feinstein. Now, no Talmud Chacham left. Says the Chavetz Chaim, it's patently false. He says the definition of a Talmud Chacham is one who can pass in halacha for his generation. One who is yoga Torah and one who is involved in Torah study and is a competent person to say Psach Would you like to know what that means in simple, plain terms? If you are bright enough to get into a community college, surely if you're bright enough to get into a four-year college, and if you're bright enough to get into an Ivy League school, you have all the capacity needed to become a Talmud Chacham. And what that means is a vastly different category of person. Now, gentlemen, I'm not talking about what you do for a living, whether you're a lawyer, a doctor, or an Indian chief. I'm talking about what you do with your life. If you have the raw intelligence to function in a college environment, you have the brains, you have the capacity to reach this sug, this different group called Tamachachem. And whilst you may not recognize immediately the value of that, I'll share with you what it means. You will be, for the rest of your life, a different human being, a different husband, a different father, but for eternity. 
and when we all leave this room, and we will be whatever we made ourselves into. And I dare say we'll meet again. Don't you imagine, let's go forward a number of years. Let's make it a lot of years because we will all have a long life. But we'll meet again. We'll all see each other. We'll all recognize each other. And I have a feeling that we're going to look around the room and go, Oh my goodness, look at that guy. He's gigantic. He's a powerhouse. What, what happened to him? He was a regular guy. What happened was he began learning, began growing, began learning, began growing, learning some more, learning some more, and he became an unbelievable great human being. He walked the same earth as you and I, but he changed, he grew, he became a vastly different person. And knowing and being aware that that capacity is accessible, available to every one of us, I believe is a very important lesson. I think there's a tremendous lesson to learn from Elisha ben Avuya. The schusa Torah, the honor due to Torah, is beyond description. We don't see it here. You know, a rich guy, a rich guy walks into the room. Ooh, wow, rich guy! But I promise you, when you leave this earth, the honor, when the malachim understand that a tamar chacham has come into the upper world, it's almost difficult to describe the honor that they treat that person with, and for eternity. And that is what you are. What Acher teaches us is a tremendous lesson in the merit of Torah. It teaches us the unbelievable measure and value of Olam Haba. It's worth, and Rebbe felt it was worth for Acher to burn for 130 years. Why? <coughs> he realized how hot it was. He realized how painful it was. But it was worth it because that's what Gan Eden is. And my friends, I'd like to share with you, I don't think I know a person who suffers anywhere near what Acher did. What that means is if your life is difficult and you're finding it challenging, understand one point, it's well, well worth it if you succeed. But there's one final point. Masha says that Acha made a mistake. Says to Masha, it was not when he went in and saw Turashuris. It wasn't even when he came down, got on a horse, and started riding. Not even when he went over to the Zonim proposition to. Proposition to. And says Masha, the mistake that Acher made was he learned rope shot in the Pasuk. You see, the Pasuk says, Shuvu Vanim Shovavim. Return, my children, return. Meaning, there's a special Siyat Rishmaya. If you take one step, Hashem says, I'll push you the rest of the way. You do a little, and I'll do the rest. That special Siyat Rishmaya, Acher was denied. You can't get that anymore. But says the Masha, Ain Dover Ome Bifnea Chuva. Nothing stops Chuva. Acher could have returned. He could have changed. He could have got back to what he was. And if we would like to know what that mistake is worth, the name Ribbon Mayor appears in the Tosefta 317 times. In Talmud Bavli, 1,197 times. The name Acher appears one time in Yerushalmi, one time in Bavli. And what that means is the great Elisha Bravuya, who was the Rebbe of Rebbe Meir. Rebbe Meir's name is mentioned in every single page of the Gemara. Acher was ten times, maybe a hundred times greater. And for eternity, he's not who he could have been. Granted, he's in Gan Eden, but a sliver, a splinter, not even a fraction of who he was. Rebbe Meir was nothing compared to Acher, and now Acher is Lilliputian. And I think what this last point the Masha is sharing with us is a very important point. 
who you are for eternity is in your hands. Most guys don't realize this, and most guys don't think about it. But if you have an opportunity to stay a Shana Bet or not stay a Shana Bet, if you're in a Shana Bet and you have an opportunity to go to a real yeshiva and grow or not, or whatever your choices are, I almost guarantee that there's a critical choice within the next year or two that will shape your destiny more than any other decision in your life. I deal with a lot of people. Most people I meet are basically, whatever track they're on, that's where they're on. When you're 30, you're set. Whoever you is, is who's you's gonna be. You're basically in one direction, and that's where you are, and that's where you're going. It's very rare that you have a chance to make a radical change in your future, in your future in this world, in your future as an adult, in your future for eternity, and it's a strange thing about learning. You get into learning, and you start growing, you start feeling differently, you start becoming a different person, you look at the world differently, you grow more, you change more, you grow more. And again, gentlemen, I'm not talking about what you do professionally. I'm talking about what you do with your life. For the rest of your life, you're growing, you're accomplishing, you're becoming a great man or you're whatever. Going through emotions like some other robotic Jew, just whatever, doing the thing everyone else is doing, just whatever. And the difference at the end is huge, either way, way up or whatever. And what Mashar is sharing with us is the mistake that many guys make. Many, many guys say, Rabbi, oh, I'd love to get into learning. No question. If I could, I would. But after what I've done, after what I've seen, there's no way. I just can't do it. I'd like to share with you. The most depraved person in the world does not begin to compare to Acher. Would you like to know how I know that? You see, the Mashah is bothered by a question. When this young woman came in to answer me, who did Nasi for Pranasa, and you know Nasi said, Biti Mea, I'm the daughter of Acher. What? Is it possible that anyone's left from his children? Mashah asked, what's the question? Plenty of Mashah had kids. Nebuchadnezzar had kids. Nebuchadnezzar had grandchildren. What's the big question? Is there anyone left? Says the Mashah, Efshir, possible, that this man was the most wicked human being who ever lived. He was a Tana. He went into paradise. He went in front of the Kisya Kavad. He saw that which very few human beings ever saw. For such a man to rebel, says the Mashah, makes him maybe the most wicked man in the history of humanity. And the Mashah says, He could return. He could have turned back. Granted, he didn't have the special Siyat Rishmaya. He didn't have the wind in his sails. He would have had to climb barefoot up the mountain. But he could have done it. And my friends, the message here is very powerful. Not a one of us left that group. Every one of us is in the category of Shuvu Vonim Shovin. Hashem created us to grow, to accomplish. Hashem put us in a very difficult generation. But Hashem gave us the capacity and more than anything Hashem wants us to accomplish, to grow, to reach our potential. You take one step forward and Hashem helps. Questions, thoughts, observations? Yeah. Why would uh, why would Acher be allowed? Hashem put him in a situation in the parties and going up the derech. Why would Hashem put him in a situation? They said just keep him away from the situation. You would have. Uh, why does Hashem give anyone the chira? This is this is it's not just the chira, but I'm saying this is only four people were It wasn't like a normal event. This was something like way out of the ordinary, out of the, an, ex- an extreme event. Now, Kiva reached great heights because of this event. And I suspect Ben Azay did as well. I'm not even sure Ben Zoma. I, I don't know, but. 
it was a person who's loyal to the hero. You know, some people have gifted minds and they become tremendous geniuses or whatever. Some you know, different you know, Hashem gives a person free will and you can now choose to lead your life as you as you choose. Yeah. Okay, that's a very good question. What is Tzchias Mason? Um, how does it work? The Olam Hashemah says for a thousand years and it's Tzchias Mason. So, let's put it in this sense. Tzchias Mason is another chance for the Neshama to perfect the body, but it, it starts on wherever you're at. In other words, meaning, if you're here, so you get to go higher. If you're here, you get to go higher, but it's still based on who you are. I am speaking to you, the personality, the, the conscious I, leave the body, stay in Olam on the Shamas for X amount of time, and then during Tchiyas Mason, I'm reformed to a body, not like this body, something like Odom Arishan, the Dr. Hashem explains, and in that state, the Nisham is able to perfect that quasi-spiritual body and exist that way forever. But again, it's me, and it's based on where I'm at, who I am, what I've accomplished. Right? Questions? So, yeah. Um, why did Akhar continue to sin? Even if he, even if he can't do tshuva, why would he make his punishment worse? I got nothing to come in the world to come. I'm out of a party. <laughs> a lot of people have that attitude. <laughs> I mean, here the Kiddush is he was a ton and had that attitude, but people, you know, what the heck? I'm, I'm not going to get Aiden. I might as well enjoy this world. Yeah. When you say you're not talking about profession, what, what role exactly does profession play? Is it like, it doesn't matter at all, you should take a good profession, or you shouldn't do it, like any profession, like, what, what do you profession? What I mean by that was, sometimes people make a mistake, that making a learning means I have to be in cola for life, can't earn a living, and, and forget about it. I don't think that's, you know, I know plenty of people who do very well financially, but they're holding a learning. If you spend three, four, five years in base management, learn and grow, and you also, at a certain point, whatever your career choice is, whatever you do, but you're a person who's steeped in learning, you're a person with skills, you're a person who, who's holding and learning, you spend the rest of your life learning. There are plenty of very, very hush of balabatim who learn three, four hours a day and are to me coming. I know doctors who are tremendous, tremendous people, and I know plenty of doctors who are whatever, you know. Is there, is, if someone has professions, I mean, they get less hard, they have less in the it absolutely means that Hashem gave each person a way to earn his parnasa, and he's supposed to follow that inclination, that natural desire. So and you get you get a lot less schar for not doing what Hashem wants. You get a lot more schar for doing what Hashem wants you to do. Now, the question is, what does Hashem want you to do? So, it really, this is, this is a good point to plug the shmuz. There's a shmuz called um, Choosing a Career, shmuz number 22, that deals with exactly this point. Um, by the way, before I forget this, all, this was a shmooze. All the shmooze are available on shmooze.com. You can download podcasts, they're all free. The only thing you have to remember is it's spelled funny. It's spelled, um, I can't remember how it's spelled. It's not the shmooze.com. <laughs> so, so you can download podcasts. Shmooze 22 deals with exactly that, choosing a career meaning. And the Chobos of Hobos explains that Hashem gave each person a natural inclination to earn his living in a given way. The Khatul has a natural instinct, the cat has a natural instinct to hunt the mouse. The robin naturally craves the worm. Hashem gave each human being a natural instinct to earn his living in a particular way. That's what you're supposed to follow, and that's the right Even, even once you figure that out, how do you know how much energy and time is supposed to put into furthering your, furthering your profession, what you meant to do? She was 51. We're talking about. <laughs> 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 you're kidding, not. It's 51. We're talking about finding the balance. 
So you got number 22. <laughs> yeah. You said that if you might as well, he didn't have anything come, so he wanted to party, but I was at partying. I can understand. He goes out, whatever, you know, but to, to, to stop the Jews, you know, the whole Roman thing and showing up to climbing, that why is that enjoyable? That doesn't seem like partying. Not enjoyable. Not enjoyable at all. Gentlemen, who is responsible <coughs> for the Hilani Jews in Israel today? Us. My Rebbe Rashid Ritzal said this 30 years ago, back when they were burning the bus stops, the Haredim were burning the bus stops, he said, if you wouldn't burn the bus stops and you invite them into your home, they'd be from today. Meaning, in America, there's a tremendous sense of kibbutz, you have to help, you have to try to be... Here, there's hostility. Now, I want to explain to you what's going on. You see, when you know in your core essence that what you're doing is wrong, and there's a higher level, and you could be, should be, and there's a fight inside you, there's a lot of conflict. There's a lot of, I should, I shouldn't, I don't want to hear about it. I want, uh, uh. So you have, it's almost expected, that a person who's irreligious amongst a lot of religious people is going to be contentious. It's going to be, and you have to deal with that very carefully. That's understandable, but you have to be very welcoming, very open, the more you know something's right and you're not doing it, the more guilty you feel, the more ugly you feel, and the more you rebel against it. Alka is a classic example. Believe me, he knew what was right. He was a tana. But when he went against it, he said, I'm out of here. What do you mean, out of here? You're, you're corrupting the council. I don't care. But you're doing terrible things. I don't care. It was such an inner turmoil. It was such an inner conflict that he had to literally squash it down, violently mush it. And what happened was he became so aggressive so violent that the Adayim who killed him in the Chachamim, and oftentimes you see the worst anti-Semites are irreligious Jews. But you have to understand why. It's not because they're mean, not because they're evil, because they know it's right, and they, I don't want to hear it. Not now, and don't push me. So, yeah. Why didn't Hachar want to, um, want to kill our mayor? I guess he was a loyal Talmud. Somebody's my friend, and, you know, so, you know, like, he, you know, he felt a certain, you know, somebody's with me, somebody stays with me, so I guess, you know, in fact, you can say, here, maybe you have to stop. It's bad for you to go to, you know, pass the tongue. <coughs> yeah? Why well, was the entourage true accepted when he was trying to accept it? Okay, now the mayor thought it was a full tshuva. I guess it wasn't. By the way, do you hear the point? Apparently, the mayor felt that and Acha really said, I can't, I'm the biggest, I can't, I wish I never had. That's tshuva. Do you know what that means? The essence of tshuva is regret, karata. The Rambam defines that Hashem would be made on you. The same person who did the act, he's not, he's changed. He's a different man, he would never do it again, and he's a vastly different person. That's the essence of tshuva. But the point is that in a moment, you could undo a lifetime of damage. Rabbi Meir thought he did tshuva and he was happy because they assumed, I don't know if it was tshuva, but he assumed that after what's he getting, now the reality is it wasn't. He was sad, he would cry, but it wasn't a full you know, undoing. But it's an unbelievable finish that if you really, really regret what you did and Hashem would say about you that you're a different man, the man who stands here now is not the same man who did the act, the Avera is erased, eradicated, no more. It's a powerful lesson of truth. Yeah? So you just fully regret the action that just completes Shiva? Alright, now there are four parts to, technically there are four parts to Shiva. There's, there's Vidui, Avidus, Azid, Zachet, Kabbalah, and Harata. But the essence of tshuva, if you want to know what the real essence of tshuva is, charata. And charata means that 
You see, anything is based on Ratzon. Any decision is my decision to do it. I decided to do it, but if I totally, absolutely regret that decision, to the extent that Hashem says about me, if he was in the same place, the same situation, he never would have done it because he's a different person, I've undone that Ratzon, that decision, that conscious choice, whatever it did to me, I undid, so effectively the hate is gone. Now the technical parts of it, Aziz Chayt, Kabbalah, and Vidu are good to do as well, but you'll see that we're trying to explain that the essence of tshuva is charata, pure regret. Then it's a question? Yeah, and also for things with Shogun, you guys just, you go the same way. You mean when it's totally, you mean, Losa says, it's totally to Yom Kippur and some until Misa. I mean, there's a whole process. Acha was at the point of all of them, by the way, when he was at his death night. You know? Yeah. You said that the awfulness of Gehenna doesn't break the like amazing years of, of Ghanaian. So if I just go through this world like doing whatever I want, right? So okay, fine, so I'll go through Ghanaian for an extra week longer than most people. But I'm still gonna get the Ghanaian. Correct. And you're, so absolutely right. I you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. The problem is that sin has a habit of sticking, clinging, and yet when you get into that kind of stuff, you can't learn, you can't dive, you just become a different person. You see, there are two problems with any hate. The problem itself, and then the damage that I did to myself. You know, what happens is, when you're involved in time, when you're involved in things, it changes you, it makes you into a different person. So you're no longer going to learn the same way, you're no longer going to give stuff the same way, you're no longer going to be the same person. So the real damage of a hate isn't the scorecard of Ben Shemayim, the damage is to me. I've changed, I'm different, I feel different, and now... I want to learn stupid stuff. Okay, I'm at it. You know, it changes the essence of me. So are, 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 there, this are there different levels in there? Are there different levels? Now, really, the truth be told, between you, me, and the lamppost, our job in this planet is not to not sin. Our job on this planet is to grow and accomplish. Now, again, don't get me wrong. If you sin, it's a bad... It's a problem, <coughs> it's a problem because it's going to stop your growth and you have to avoid sinning. But if you wonder where the action's at, the action is not avoiding sin. The action is growing, accomplishing, becoming. Gentlemen, who are the four people who never sinned? Amram, and? Anyone know the name of the fourth man who's never sinned? Kalev. Now, I had to look up the son of David's name. I had to look it up enough because when I read it in the Gemara, Oh, Kalev. Okay. Those four men never sinned. Anyone ever hear of Kalev? Okay, let's, let me give you some other names. Adam, Yitzhak, Yaakov, Moshe, Aaron, David, Shlomo. Anyone ever hear those names? <laughs> okay, who is greater? Ingan Aiden, who do you think is up there? Anyone say the Shpizen on, on Sukkis? Kalev, anyone there? No. Yisha, anyone there? Amram, anyone there? Binyam? No, not mentioned. Oh, why? Because not sinning is great, it's wonderful, but it's not what the action's at. It's growing and accomplishing. Now, again, you can't sin because if you sin, it messes you up, it stops your growth. It also gets the shin angry, and that's not a good place to be. But the point is, if you want to know what, where the action's at, it's growing, accomplishing, striving, making yourself into a vastly different person, changing yourself and changing the world. Now, again, sin is a problem, it's an obstacle, it puts baggage on you, it loads you down, and it stops your growth. But the focal point of life is not to not sin. The focal point of life is to grow, to accomplish. You know what I mean by that? But if God doesn't want you to sin, so it's, it's still... Yeah, but why does... You can't underrate sinning by just saying that it's getting in your way. Why does... It's really fine. Why doesn't God want you to sin? 
Right? That, that, there might be 50 reasons, there might be one reason, there might be reasons we don't understand, but at the end of the day, if God says in the Torah, don't sin, so we can't tell us, well, it's really not so bad, it's just, no, oh, it's just the way, it's just the way, something that's going to get in my way of uh, finishing the Sefta, or of becoming a Sefta, or Otherwise, the answer is really not so bad. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I'm sorry. If, 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 I, I don't mean that, and I'm not saying it. And, and don't, guys, don't go home and say, Rabbi Shev is dead. You can do whatever you want because what, you know, eat on Kippur and whatever. Yeah, cool, cool, cool. No, I'm not saying that. What, I think sometimes people make a mistake in, in focal point of life. And I'm explain to you where the Nakamina comes in. I'm such a loser. I did not sin. I did not sin. I'm a horrible sin. I'm a worthless slime. And forget it. I'm never going to get it. Um, <laughs> now nobody here ever thinks that way, acts the way, etc. But sometimes you may hear your friends. Okay, now why is that? I'd like to share with you why that is. You know how big that sin is. That sin is such a big, 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 big sin. You're right. It is. I, I agree with you 100. percent But you know how big the mitzvahs is that you could accomplish on. You know how huge they are. And you know what you could be doing. The Sultan would like to make sure that you feel very. Dirty, very guilty, and very ugly because dirty, ugly people don't do great things. So, and what can I tell you? Should you sin? No, don't do it. It's a bad thing to do. It gets us angry. It messes you up and messes up your soul. But the action, if you want to know what growth is about, it's about growing, accomplishing, <coughs> schneiding. Again, you can't sin because it's going to mess things up. But the focal point, do I, am I making myself more confusing? Yeah? You're doing the worst job. Digging my hole deeper. Ayin Gemara, Makas, Chav Gimel, Amabiz. It's a long discussion, but um, again, please don't misunderstand. I'm not telling you guys, you know, go out to Ben Yehuda Street and have a chasson. It's not at all. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that chatoim are things that, are, that stop you. Alright, whatever. We'll, we'll talk about it. Next question. Any other question? Thoughts on innovation? Yeah. You spoke about how you know, anyone can go to community college or even on, I believe, whatever it is, they, they have the potential to be a common fund. But at the same yes. time, we have to actualize that potential. So how exactly do we go about actualizing the potential when uh, even the simplest guy in a community college can become a Talmud Tukum? And you know, we're with a mentality necessarily that isn't conducive to trying to become a Talmud Tukum. Wait, help me a little bit more. Not found exactly. I mean, essentially, we're supposed to actualize the potential, right. um, but how do we go about doing that? When uh, I mean, that's not necessarily our, our aim. Our aim is to to get better, but we don't know what our potential is. We just want to get better. How do we actualize the potential? Well, I mean, let's start with one thing. You're issue today, right? Growing, accomplishing, finishing the sector, learning more deeply, setting goals, setting real solid goals for yourself, making sure that next year you find yourself in a very solid learning program. Making sure that you're growing and continue setting learning goals and a path that will allow you to continue to grow. So, I mean, I'm not sure I understand the question, so I'm not sure I'm addressing it, but are we, are we talking uh, to each other? Or, yeah, uh, anyway, I mean, what I'm trying to say, I guess, is that um, there's a certain point we're supposed to be reaching. We want right. to have both Canadian we can have. But how do we figure out what that is for each one? Because I feel like everyone still has a different level of company to reach. You're right, you're correct. And by the way, at the end of our days, each of us is judged. But I'm not judged compared to you, you're not compared to him. They hold up a picture of me. And the Ross says, the most painful moment a person's life 
and they hold up a picture of this great person, Sterling Meadows, tremendous accomplishments in, in learning. And they say to me, why don't you become that? Me? Little me? You want me that man change himself and change the world? And expect that of me. The Gros says, that is you, had you accomplished your mission, had you become that which you were destined to be. <coughs> but listen to what the words are. It's a picture of me. Not a picture of you, not a picture of Tom Sofer, and not a picture of Rebbe Kvager. It's a picture of me based on my talents, my abilities, the generation I was born into, the home I was put into. This is your ability. These, this is your talent set. Go out, accomplish as much as you can. But it's a picture of me. All right, gentlemen, before I stop, I just want to mention this book, Stop Surviving, Start Living. This is, um, it's not in Islam Stewards yet, it's coming in Sashem, pays off time. It's, I like to call it the first paragraph of the Sharm in 21st century language. It deals with all the big picture questions, why shouldn't create me, what life's about. You know, it deals with what's it like in Olam Haba, what it's like for me to be there, how do the mitzvahs work, how do the function. It's, it's supposed to be a very motivating, powerful read. People have told me it's, it's life-changing, thought-provoking. Um, I mean, they're learning in the Chavrusa, many of the Chavrusa, they're learning in the Chavrusa, they have uh, a guy in Dallas, but 200 copies, he's giving, sharing it. It's sold, kind of sold about 2,500 copies already um, before getting to the store. So I, I think it's, it is, it has been told to me that it's a very powerful read. Please take a moment to look it over. Um, you can purchase them now, they're available for 30 shekel. Don't feel any pressure to buy it now. I'm be, I'll be leaving about 15 minutes. You don't have to buy it now. It'll be in Mitzvah Shem in the, in the summer stores by Pesach. Whatever, they'll probably sell it for 100 shekel then. Okay. Um, don't feel that you've got to make this decision like in 15 minutes or something like that. You know, anybody Jewish here by the way? Anyway, please, take a, a moment to look it over. And uh, if you're interested in purchasing, you can just leave the money here and kind of take the change and leave, etc. Um, and uh, we can uh, go forward. Okay, thank you.